0: Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Smaller like Hunting Podcast. This is part five of the six plan podcast discussing the perfect property pyramid, if you will. This pyramid is kind of the way that I went about it, lays out what five aspects and traits of a property I feel I've seen in or on every property that I know that has yielded sustained success for hunters chasing not just white tailed deer, but bucks that sit in that top. 10, 15, maybe even 20% of their localized deer herd age bracket. These are the guys continually putting down deer, but this is because of the properties that they hunt, and that they've designed, and that they've built. In this episode, we're going to be touching on one of the biggest hurdles for landowners to get over and accept, and that is their entrance and their exits. That, and probably a little bit more on this episode of the Smaller like Hunting Podcast. You are listening to the Small Leaker Hunting Podcast, the hunting podcast that is free of advertisements, bought and paid for opinions, and minutes and minutes of sponsorships. If that's what you want, there's a plethora of other podcasts out there. Here, we're going to talk openly, we're going to talk honestly, and we're going to live in the real world, free of sponsorships and paid for advertisements and opinions that are governed and dictated by them sounds interesting stay tuned for this episode of the Small like grounding podcast all right i am going to try my best to keep this podcast a little shorter than last time maybe not ramble have as many side tangents if you will i've got a lot of those stored up though man my inbox has been blowing up this week in the last couple weeks um, with just variety of discussions occurring in the white tail spectrum or community, if you will. And uh, maybe we'll tackle those someday. Maybe we'll have some guests on. I, I've always said that. You know, I actually, that this will be my one side tangent. Um, I actually had a couple people ask, you know, Ty, you've, you've, you've brought up guests numerous times, and then you really haven't had many. Um, if you think about it, I've had just a few. You know, Al jake ellinger which i will have jake back on i honestly need to just set up a habitual every season spring summer fall and and winter have jake on because i think he's one of the most real world real people habitat consultants that have seen time and time again the, the fruits of his labor on his own or other properties and most importantly he understands the average man there are some consultants out there that live in a world, and it's not by anything, it's not that they're bad guys. It's not even that they purposely set out to begin to not quite understand the common person, um, if you will, or the common pocketbooks, if you will, of people. But just over time, just they've been successful. God has blessed them with things, and and, and you begin to lose touch with the ability to talk to Um, Because, you know, I I relate or talk to these people. I relate it, and that was where my mind was going. I relate it to the fact I used to work with youth at our church for, oh, I think I made it 10 years. If not, it was like nine years full-time, and then I started um, just helping out when they needed me. I was a full-time volunteer. And it used to come so easy to talk to youth, um, to kind of relate to them, if you will, or anything. You know, a lot of the friends, I actually just attended or will attend multiple weddings of the, the very youth that I used to help lead, that I met them as their youth leader, and now they have grown into young men, fine men that uh, I consider brothers. But I couldn't just walk into the youth group now and be as relatable and be as real with them because I'm not as into that culture, if you will, for lack of a better term. Um, and I think there are some Habitat consultants out there that they really do lose touch with the average common person. Um, and, and, and they lose that ability to communicate with them, which that's why some of them partner up with people that are still good um, at that or things of that nature, but it's just, it's a concept that I've got mulling over, and I, I. but getting back on topic, here's one of those tangents I promised I wouldn't do, but uh, getting back on topic about the guests, um, I've just never, so here's the thing. There are very few people that just want to have authentic conversations that'll benefit the listener. Most people, it's a business. It's plugging this, that, or another. Um, it's never just about communicating a discussionary topic. Um, I have watched just over the last year some of my favorite people um, just absolutely get consumed by trying to make it in the hunting industry. They, I mean, they're 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 balls to the wall. They they're doing anything and everything that they possibly can to you know can be that next person that next relevant thing to build a business um and and i will i hope success for him or whatever but i know i know i've been around enough and i've flirted with the industry enough and those of you who heard don higgins on his podcast talk about me in the discussion of being close enough to the industry i've i've witnessed how it contorts and twists and turns and really can just desensitize and de deauthentic- authenticize I just made that word up people no longer are they authentically just trying to communicate they, there's a motive and a means behind what they're saying and I I just I don't feel that's where God's wanted me to go with this I, I, I and that's why smaller hunting will never be bigger than what it probably is right now if anything it'll continue to get smaller and tighter circle um If it grows, it grows, but it's not going to be because of anything that I've tried to do to push it. Um, But that's enough of that. I do have guests in mind. I do have multiple friends of uh Friends of mine that are just common landowners that I'd really love to have on, Um, you know, just to throw out a few names. I'd love to have my buddy Vince on, Pastor Andrew as I call him, uh, Craig, Ryan, like there's just a, there's a few collective guys that I'd love to have on and I know Don would be willing to come on if I just ask him and maybe I'll do that sometime and try to unpack some more in-depth topics with him. But on this episode, we're going to be touching on entrance and exits. Now this is one of the two bottom pieces of the pyramid and i'm going to be completely honest if i redid the pyramid right now this would be a sub this would be a sub bullet point of security so the bottom of the pyramid if you're looking at it is two pieces the lower left is entrance and exits and the lower right is security i separated these out because they are so crucially interwoven that I feel like I needed to to intensify and to strengthen and bolden and, and just make sure people realize entrance and exits are not just crucial, they are make and break for a property. So while entrance and exits are a huge part of security, and honestly, if you think about it, if you start thinking back to the zones and departments and how we set up those things, a lot of that was for security reasons. Entrance and exits, a lot of that is for security reasons. The limited pressure and such is a lot for security reasons. Everything goes back to security, and we're finally on that level. But we're going to talk about one specific sub subject inside of providing deer security, and that is our entrance and exits. The number one most property debilitating thing that I see played out is the ignorance of the owner. And the number one thing in that ignorance is commonly displayed in stand selection and more importantly how they are getting to and from those stands I have walked many properties and I've I've done digital consults for many people and there have been times where I'm like okay you know where are your stands at you know send me a map with their stands on it or we're walking the property and there's a stand right here and I'm like how in the world do you get to that stand without negatively impacting your property to a degree that is not worth it it is very 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 rare that I'm willing to have a negative impact unless I'm hunting a specific deer at all based on my entrance and exits and i mean i've got people hunting the center of their properties i've got people hunting the center of the back side of their property and they're not hooking around they're not using water to access they're not you know using a quiet cat to drive down the county road one way they gained walking access from a neighbor to walk a field edge and then into their property that's on so now they're in a stand only 10 yards from the property line But it's from another property because if they walk straight to it, they'd have to walk through 570 yards of their own property, portions of the sanctuary or right along it. That's not, I don't run into that. I don't, we've got to be willing to take those lengths to do that. But so many times people will be like, oh, I just walk right to it. Oh, I just come down through here, this section. You know, typically the deer don't use that in the evening time. Until they already walk by my stand, and by that I hope to already have shot the buck that I'm after. Um, you know, I don't hunt this in the mornings because the deer walk that flat where I walk in a lot. Uh, so I come in after they're already done using it. Okay. I understand the logic. Like I can I can I can understand it. But let's that that last example is a good example. I use this for only an evening stand because I have to walk through a section that I know the deer use to come back to their bedding in the mornings almost all the time, depending on the wind probably. So you are literally going to walk where you know doe family group, most likely all the bucks that you're chasing or all the bucks that are on your property are going to walk that spot. Hours after you're gone. And you're going to condition them to when. You're going to condition them to know that you're using that. You're around there. and make things worse, you're probably not using that all year long to condition them to just think that's a normal thing. It's only in the fall. It's only when they got hunters around them. And they're not stupid. If deer were stupid and I've said this all along, if deer were stupid and they followed patterns, any person with half a brain cell could, could kill a mature buck. I mean, I, that's why I hate the word pattern. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it, because there is no deer out there that I have ever found or ever hunted that follows a pattern. If they follow a pattern, I would have so many booners on my wall. Because it's just simple. Figure out the pattern. They do this at this time, within this time frame, it repeats every four days. That's what a pattern is. It's a repetitive practice. Now, they have tendencies, and that's what we have to learn to tip on. But I'm not going to... These entrance and exit routes that some people have, I mean, they just literally will just walk down the edge of their food plots, or, you know, they won't even have screening. and, And I'm just like... Why would you do that? You're spending thousands of dollars on a consult possibly you're 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 spending thousands of dollars on trees on food plot seed, on a bow, on guns, on blinds. I mean you could quickly get to ten grand in one year just by adding a elevated blind, a new bow, seed and fertilizer, and a couple fruit trees. Like depending on what type of tree and what type of other things you, you had, that could easily be accomplished, which is just insane when you think about it. And you're going to just basically say, none of that matters, screw it. I'm going to walk to that stand because that's the spot I want to haunt. The wind is good for once I get there, but the wind is terrible for your arriving, your travel to, and your travel from. So the one thing that you have to remember with your entrance and exits is the story that you are telling as you are walking them. So as you are walking in, what is the direction of the wind? If it even hints at blowing towards a spot where you have suspected mature bucks bedding, or they should be, or could be, you need to figure out a different way to get to that stand, or you need to cross that standoff is not an option. Period. I understand that right now the Hail Mary approach, the go in deep, is a growing thing. Now, if you realize, a lot of the times when you see that, those are guys with large chunks of ground, typically also on public, and they are going to make the push to make it happen before something else can occur, before somebody else can come in and make it happen, before more pressure pushes that deer elsewhere. You've got to use that approach, but we are talking about... Especially on my podcast, Smaller sized Properties, Common Landowners, who this is your property. And if you blow it, you could blow it up for weeks, months, or even the season. So don't be stupid. I mean, it's really, I, I, like, honestly, it all boils down to that. I could summarize this whole thing with don't be dumb with your entrance and exits. Don't let them blow towards something. They shouldn't. And don't let them cross something they shouldn't. You remember those two things. And you're golden. Okay. Now let's talk about sometimes there are places or approaches. There are things that we can do. To minimize our impact. Does not eliminate it. Underline that. If you're taking notes. You cannot eliminate it. But we can minimize it. So. I had a client that had was thinking about using a river that they have access to, but they were like, you know, they like to walk this river edge, but the best stand placement would be halfway between the river bank and the food location, so he could kind of keep an eye and shoot both. And I actually kind of agreed. And this was a spot where he could possibly potentially hinge cut to bounce deer off of the bank if they were running the bank edge and bounce them around his stand To where his entrance and exit is going to come straight off the bank and go straight to the stand. And he's going to make it to where the, it's very, the, the, the probability of a deer being able to walk between the bank and the stand is going to go down dramatically because he's going to use bumping hinge cuts or blockades of some kind. Some people use snow fence, some people just down trees, some people, whatever it might be, he's going to try to bounce people, bounce these deer around. Now, that's not going to eliminate, and depending on to what degree or what trees you have around, it's not going to eliminate their ability to possibly do that. So, there are some things that you can do to minimize it. One, have a prepped trail. Spray kill that thing. Every spring, go back there with 2, 4 dB and Gly mixed up and, and spray kill it. Don't be afraid to go back in July or August. Make sure... You know that so you're eliminating growth on this trail you're eliminating that's not just for sound that's also going to minimize scent transfer onto plants and such that'll hold your scent and teach deer that you were there um Raking the grounds, another good example of, of that. The problem is I don't like to go and access these trails a ton. I know some guys will go into certain trails two nights before gun opener, and they've had success because they can slip in and slip out. You know, the perfect timing for me, if you're going to do something like that, is in a rainstorm. So if you're going to go in and hunt a stand that you've never hunted the rest of the during the year yet it's a big pivotal day you're going to set all day maybe maybe it's the last weekend before gun season you're going to do an all-day sit the wind is great it's a good deep location Um, I would say six to seven days prior anytime you get a storm whether it be day or night I am getting up at 1 a.m. and I'm going and doing that or I'm taking off work early and I'm going to do that while it's storming minimize your scent, let it wash off um, just let it kind of reset let mother Nature reset the area and you will have a, a clean prepped uh, trail. Another thing that I've actually thought of and I've had a few clients do and they've they've claimed it's successful is use pavers sidewalk pavers you know those like hexagon, octagon pavers circle pavers that you can buy at lowe's that are like you know the size of a basketball or bigger line those puppies up on that prep trail that clean trail branches and leaves are going to be less likely to stay on that because there's no uh surface to it's like more of a smooth surface um and and wind and such will whip through and blow things right off of it and it's 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 not as porous, you know, especially if they're like concrete. Yes, they're gonna have a little bit of porous, but they're not it's not like walking on the ground that'll hold moisture or scent, it'll dry up, scent molecules don't absorb into concrete as well. Shocker, right? So there's always these things that we can do to make our entrance and exit better. But in the end, if it's a bad entrance and exit, it should not be on your property. Um A lot of guys like to use the picking up and dropping off method. Um, I know a lot of field edge uh, settings where even I utilize it some. Um, We have a stand that I've been rather successful to hunt um, at a property of ours. And Pops will come and get me out of the stand or vice versa, I'll go get him out of the stand because it's right on the edge of sanctuary meets food. And depending where the deer are feeding that night out in the field, they can be right within bow range even for hours. And you can't really get out of your stand, at least in my opinion. I'm not getting out of my stand and educating those deer to my location. Tractors, farm trucks, people driving around is unfortunately something they're more familiar with. And so I'll have that truck pull right up near the base of the stand. It'll disperse the field. That hunter has the ability to get down and then walk out or even hop in the truck. Um, Just be cognizant of... I like to hop in the back of the truck just so there's not as much scent issues with your clothes and everything. Yes, you're not going to be able to beat a deer's nose entirely, but there are a ton of things that can lessen um, the story that we're broadcasting out there for deer to interpret and possibly have a bad reaction to. So while no, I... I don't believe scent precautions are worth it, air quotes, to some people's degree. But I will say those who um, are successful, a lot of hunters that I know that are successful, they take their scent regimes and their scent regiments um, very seriously. And they're very cognizant. Some people, uh, you know, your entrance and exits and your stand locations should be your number one scent precautions taken um, in hunting before you wash anything, run ozone, have a tra- uh, transportation clothes, totes, all that those things. it doesn't matter if, if you're not paying attention to your entrance and exits or your uh, stand locations. Electric bikes are another thing that I had on my bullet point list to touch on. I think they're great. I think electric bikes are a major transformation that I'm going to see more and more guys go to, they're becoming rather affordable. And if you don't have the terrain that's crazy rough, honestly, some of these cheaper ones that are made for the roads that just have all terrain tires on them, you can ride a fence line or fence road with those road with those, on a lot of farms and cut down your walk and your travels. You know, sometimes guys don't take the precautionary steps to walk the edge of the farm because it just takes too long. And by the time they get to their stand, they're a sweaty mess. Well, now you can hop on this e-bike and drive three quarters of the way, park it at the corner of the field, throw it under some brush, throw it into a tree line, and then walk to your, your tree without breaking a sweat. And it's a quicker, quieter, more consistent exit instead of boots trouncing along it's just one steady pace and again it's a little bit more like a human vehicle and deer don't get as spooked as human vehicles as much as you know maybe they should but nothing still beats just the concept of 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 not needing those things you know um i think if you're using it to cut down on being a sweaty mess by the time you get to your stand that's one thing but I don't... It's still... The most beneficial entrance and exits are the ones that are foolproof. To me, that's why I hunt the edge of my properties. I don't go into the middle of my properties. Every stand I have is on the exterior of my property. That gives the largest sanctuary areas, the largest untouched areas to the deer. I don't need to be able to hunt the majority of my property. I just need to be able to hunt a few strategic locations that I make better, enhance, and hunt in a foolproof manner. And, you know, that touches on something to where I think, let's unpack a few facts that I think every landowner and every person listening needs to come to grips with. And that is one, the absolute best spots on your property may not be huntable. They just very well may not be and hunt and the second thing is hunting the second best spots or the third or the fourth best spots on your property with the best entrance and exits will will equal success over time. I will use my own personal property as an example of this. I've shared it before. I think I shared it when Jake was on. I've shared it. i shared it in numerous other podcasts myself. But I have a stand. I think it's still even hanging there. It's probably grown into the tree and the, who knows if the ladder is still even good. But I hung a stand in a location that is just dynamite. If I could be dropped in via a hang glider and just fall right into that stand, I would hunt it every day with a southwest wind that ever existed. And I would sit there from morning till dark every single time I get a southwest wind of at least seven to nine miles an hour. I've got to have a consistent southwest wind, but it is dynamite. Have not hunted it once the entire time I've owned this property since 2016 because I don't have a way to get to it that I am comfortable with doing. I am going to have to have a negative impact to portions of my properties that I have committed to protecting the integrity of their sanctuariness, their security mentality that the deer have for those areas. I don't want to mess with it. I refuse to mess with it. So you just got to accept the fact that not all the best best spots on your property are going to be huntable. And that's not a bad thing. It's still, and that's kind of like I get sick of guys when they're thinking about food plots and such. They, They only do them if they can take advantage of hunting them. No, I've got food plots locations that I can't even hunt. I can't even shoot a gun to. Because it's still in a place that makes my property more conducive and more usable and more attractive to the deer throughout their entire day. So having the best spot for a, for to hunt unaccessible to you is still, you know, that, that's a best spot for a reason. It's a high-use traffic area for whatever reason, whether it be a food corner, inside corner, travel corridor, pinch point, whatever it might be. The deer are still going to get to traverse there on your property, on your soil, and feel safe and freely doing it, which is going to only enhance the attractiveness of your property to the deer. So just accept it. You know, there's times where you're just going to have to accept that. And hunting your second best spots are going to become just incredibly successful because they have really good entrance and exits. And you can do things to make those areas even better and better over time. Perhaps that's sculpting in some travel corridor food plots. Um, Perhaps that's doing some hinge bouncing. Perhaps that's doing some sculpting of the habitat around you. Um, Whatever it might be, you can make those spots better. I have personally killed, let me do the math really quick. So I've owned my property since 2016, which means 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21 seasons. So I've had six seasons there, and I've killed a 175. He was like another buck that was like a 147. And then uh, splits, I think, was like 127, something like that. So 127, 147, and a 175, divide by three. I have bucks out of the same tree averaging around 150 inches. And honestly, three bucks out of six years on that stand, I will take that. I will take that every day of the week. Um, Splits was – he was easily in the top 15% of the bucks in my area, but he was like – 15%. Um there were f- probably two or three other bucks that were definitely older, definitely bigger. Um Cicero was the king um when I shot him and uh not last year. I think it was 2020 when I shot the 147 which is over my shoulder I'm looking at him right now. Um he was probably the second biggest dog out there. Maybe the third second biggest dog that regularly was around and I was hunting um vilkas probably scores better and high rise might too but um he was still he was a top three dog in the area so and that's at a second location the secondary spot if i were to rank my spots as far as best to hunt outside of my actual deemed bedding area sanctuaries that I'm not going to go hunt myself on our small properties. And that's one thing. You see people hunting these bedrooms on, you know, the hunting public, Dan Info, they hunt the bedroom. I would do the same thing on public ground. Public ground. I'm not doing that on private ground that I have access to and control over and can somewhat minimize and take my time and hunt more if smarter, if you will, over time and not have to force the envelope to push the issue, um, with the deer. So that's just something to keep in mind. I know we see a lot of it, but it's not the best thing to do on your property. In my opinion, I I will go to the grave saying, if you own, you know, 20, 30, 10, 80, 90 acres, it's, it's never worth pushing into the bedding sanctuary. Um, you know, some guys say, what about the day before gun season? Everything's going to go to you know what, the next day... Well, if you go in on the 14th and the opener's the 15th, all you're merely doing is possibly pushing deer out of your bedding. Now they don't even have your bedding sanctuary to go to when all you know what breaks loose elsewhere. So you're actually doing a detrimental thing to your property by pushing the envelope. So to summarize all of my ramblings, because I don't feel like I did a good job at all of following my outline which is a fairly common thing with me entrance and exits should be in my opinion the first thing that you think about when you look at a property when you're trying to pick a stand if you just bought a property you're getting ready to tackle habitat improvements on your property on a property look for the areas that you have the most foolproof entrance and exits very short entrances very minimal intrusion sometimes that might be just feet sometimes because of water or a roadway or whatever other feature that exists might exist it might be longer but because of the features that exist it's very foolproof Um, good example that is i hunt more of a semi-urban area now and i actually have a uh, fence with barbed wire up on top of it on one edge of my property on one section it's not a full edge but on one section of my property it now exists well deer can't traverse that so that's a hard line edge i actually now have the ability to extend an entrance an entrance and exit route to a stand location or hunting location, if we choose to put a blind, that I never could do before and Justify. It has to do with them clearing uh, about a two to three acre area that was just a bedding uh, mecca. So I never would walk there because deer were going to be coming across my entrance and exits if I walked there. They not only, depending on what winds I had, I would be blowing up into there, even though it was off my property. I still kept that in mind every time I hunted because that was a good bedding location. Well, that bedding area is gone now, and all that's left is from the location I'm talking about is my bedding to the northeast, which was next to this area that they removed. Now there's a fence there on the one portion of the northern edge of my property, so with south winds, I could walk that fence line, not have any fear of of, of hitting a uh, commonly used pathway or travel corridor of the deer. And I'm also not going to be blowing towards anything that I need to worry about. And that's something that you have to be cognizant of when you start pick. Don't just pick a stand location based on the features of the area that you're trying to go to or that, that exact stand. It's great, but we are not digging tunnels to tree stands or dropping people out of airplanes. If the entrance and exit is not good... The stand is not good. Period. If you've heard nothing else, it is that fact. If your entrance and exit cannot be said to be good, the stand should not be hunted, in my opinion. You are going to do more long-term detrimental impacting to your hunting than, than, than it's worth it. And to continue summarizing it accept that fact but then also realize and use that to construct better stand locations in the future well I can get to this location really good now let's look at where this location is it's kind of in a dead zone I've got bedding 200 yards to the north I've got an area that I, I I think I might log in the future got a decent number of mature timber it's kind of low-grade timber but it's still mature and the understory is really starting to die down so I really would like to regenerate start that well you know what if I put some micro plots and maybe cut a couple pathways to encourage travel between that northern bedding and this area that I might log in the future that if I do log it and maybe now if I log it aggressively will become bedding area even though I had thought about clearing it for, for food plots, if I make that bedding area and really successional explosion will happen and it'll get thick and the deer will use it. If I put a food plot, a couple micro food plots, you know, quarter acre here, winding, connecting to maybe another one i could probably have a standard two location in between them and that'll be a travel corridor of communication i can put in some scrapes i can put in some um, fruit trees if you will i can i can have a couple strategic communication points via scrapes via trees that i put in edges with miscanthus or another type of planting to create a travel corridor cutting through and between those two bedding areas that would be golden so hopefully, you know, I, I don't know. And all that all that stuff kind of becomes second nature as you're looking at properties. So it's kind of hard for me to describe it, especially just in audio form. But if you've got bad entrance and exits on your property, you've got to change it. And that might mean giving your deer a larger sanctuary on the backside of your property that you can't get to. And even though you got food plots back there, maybe you're going to plant them into switchgrass and let the deer just have them back. Or you've got to figure out a way to enhance your entrance and exits to the point where you're no longer, you don't have to justify it to great lengths to go hunt it. And that was, I actually told a landowner that one time, I was like, how long do you think it would take you to justify your entrance into this location for me to be like, eh, it's okay for you to hunt. And before he started answering, I was like, if you feel like you can't justify it in a sentence or two, it's not worth going. You're having to communicate far more, and you know deep down, the more you have to say to try to justify an entrance and exit route, the worse it is. Like, my my foolproof entrance and exit routes, my best stand at the property, again, that I've killed, the only bucks off of the property that I've killed, Pops is the only, he's killed one other one, Dovahkeen, he killed it elsewhere, I've only killed three bucks off my place since 2016 when I bought it, same stand. And I have literally, when I leave the neighbor's property that I have permission and I'm friends with, um, to park on when I leave his property, it's about a 30 yard walk, maybe through desolate area across a fence. And then it's 12 feet to my stand. It's pretty foolproof. And even then, I remember I shared the story of the Cicero hunt. I knew where he was betting potentially, which is in that betting area that's gone now. It took me about a half hour to do that 30 yards because I knew how close he was betting, most likely. But that's a story for another day or, or one that you can re- revisit. Uh, I kind of t- told the story in depth on Habitat Chat podcast, um, one of the earlier episodes. If you Google, uh, ty miller habitat chat podcast i've been on there twice and one was the story of cicero so you can check that out Uh, it was a game plan episode back in the back in the beginning Um, back before i won't say anything else (laughs) vince you'd be proud of me i just bit my lip inside joke for those of you listening so everybody i just want to thank you Again, I, I, I don't feel like I mean I could keep talking for 20 minutes It'd just be repeating, intensifying and strengthening. Entrance and exit routes will make or break the security of your property. period. Period. There are some properties I won't even begin to try to hunt because I just can't hunt them to the degree that I want to in order to ensure I have the best chance of killing a mature buck. Now I might have some properties that I don't expect to be mature buck hunting. I'll be a little bit looser with my entrance and exits because I don't care. But most likely, if you're listening to this podcast, you do care and you are targeting the upper echelon of the bucks in your area, or you're trying to. That's your motivation. You can't choose to ignore your entrance and exits. If you do, you're just choosing ignorance and you're not going to ever see success. So, This is Ty. I just want to say thank you. Um, Hopefully this discussion of the property pyramid has been good for you we have one more we're going to talk about security but to be honest with you just not to make it sound bad but the next podcast can probably be even shorter because everything we've done an ingredient that's woven into every single thing that we do is security that dictates and drives our entire decision making process when it comes to designing a property and how we hunt it and such Um, but i do i will tease I had a great question. Ty, you're discussing the property. What, in your opinion, make up the best hunters? What characteristics of them? And I was like, oh, man, we could go a bunch of different ways. And to be fair, I actually think I know somebody that I think I might like to have on to maybe unpack that a little bit, who's a little bit more in touch with the hunting community has had more conversations, um, with people in it. And, uh, but that's enough of a teaser for now. And, uh, I just want to thank everybody for the outpouring of, uh, uh, support if you will, or whatever it is. Um, it means the world to me again, not paid for small, hunting's hunting is not a funded thing except for out of my own pocket. So I just, your, your well wishes or your thanks or whatever, um, mean the world, but hopefully my only motivation is that hopefully somebody listening will be, uh, will see benefit in what they learn here what they read here even if it is just knowing what not to do I'm, I'm i'm a humble enough of a guy to admit that you know hey i'm not perfect and i don't always do everything 100 percent right um the first go around for sure but you know hopefully hopefully you can learn from my mistakes if nothing else um or learn from the things that i've learned over time i've seen a lot of success in my short life span so far god has blessed me with uh the ability to interpret what deer desire and deer like and deer need and i've been able to capitalize on that time and time again a lot on bucks that you know some people argue don't exist in the area aren't common Um, they're out there they are out there for sure Uh, people really need to start realizing that and a little bit of groundwork a little bit of scouting and a little bit of actually being in touch with what dear want desire and need i think is really eye-opening to a lot of people so hopefully um, some of you are benefiting from from that for me as well uh, through the podcast through the website through some of the past things that i've done so god bless and good luck out there